welcome back to another episode of the Python People podcast, the home for global technology leaders to share insights with the tech community. And uh, a warm welcome to this week's guest, uh, Paolo Coelho Mendez. How was my accent, Paolo? Was that good? A good pronunciation? Yeah, no, can't fault that. Take that, brilliant. Um, so, Paolo, yeah, welcome and thanks for coming. Uh, thanks for coming to be with us here today. So. You are a, a data leader, um, I think also a bit of a serial entrepreneur in terms of some of the ventures that you've been um, part of founding. Uh, and I think you've had a really interesting story throughout your journey with, with data. So I'd like to start, as I always do, um, just by asking you to uh, kindly give us a little bit about your, your background and your, uh, your career bio to date. And um, yeah, we can go from there. Absolutely. Well, first of all, Gary, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting me over. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay, so uh, right now I'm the head of data science at Solved Europe. Solved Europe is an IPG health company. So uh, its whole reason is to really kind of deliver maximum value with it, each interaction for all of the healthcare community. So that means HCPs, uh, patients, um, researchers, pretty much everybody. Uh, data of course plays an important part in that vision that's where i come in but um as you probably listeners can tell from my accent i'm not from around here i'm originally from brazil that's where my story begins um i say what the path that brought me here can be summed up in three different stages so the first one was really kind of late 90s early aughts uh internet was the shiny new thing i was fresh off college and went straight into a few startups at the time, which was great because it was a mess. It was the wild west and we really could do a bit of everything. So I was barely 20, 21, and I was uh, really kind of leading CMS development because we didn't have the off the shelf platforms mm -hmm. and solutions. Um, I was trying, you know, to design interaction, UX, all, so it, it was a bit of everything. Um, that lasted until I left AOL Latin America. So that's because that's after I spelled with the products, I got all, got onto the responsibility to deal with the business intelligence as well. And that was my path towards strategy, which was, I think, the main chunk, chunk of my career, my formative years. So did a bit of that for pretty much everything, digital marketing, uh, CRM, uh, traditional advertising, but I never let my passion for data slide in a sense. I was always really kind of making sense of all the information around us, whether that's qualitative, quantitative, um, running diagnosis, this kind of thing. So I set up a few departments trying to integrate offline and digital worlds at the time uh, towards early pens. I finally got back. I mean, I was a planning partner at uh, Almap BBDO, so large uh, advertising network. And that's when I went back to data products and really kind of thinking about automating some of the tasks we had, um, getting more information that was flowing through the organization, this kind of thing. Eventually I took sabbatical, that's a major inflection point, came to Scotland um, for a master's. It was really on, um, well, had nothing to do with my career up to that point. So it was a biology of language. What I was really interested in, in is how does a system like the brain implement and manipulate knowledge, right? And that kind of informed 
has informed my path uh, from that moment on. So I ended up staying in Scotland on a T1 visa that's for entrepreneurial graduates. I founded my business, Serendipity Lab, and set out to develop data product, products, tackle uh, real world business problems, specifically massive problems, like open-ended problems. Clients would come and say, where do I expand my business to? Or where do I find, I don't know, high earning single moms, this kind of thing. So which kind of easy for us to ask, but it's not really trivial for us to answer as you know well. And I started developing solutions for that. Uh, started working for us some ad hoc, especially during pandemic, uh, some consulting on the side as well. Uh, developed a financial health index for Brazil. And eventually that led me to IPG Health. Now I'm in, at Solved, we are really kind of working closely to Omnichannel. So building solutions for Omnichannel orchestration, there are loads of solutions. It's really about how integrate and how you govern data. I think those are the main challenges there. And the other bit is how do we really capture all the knowledge again, flowing the organization, uh, especially qualitative ones. So we're working very closely to with behavioral science and building a hybrid system so we can really kind of use automation to help our consultants expertise uh, i hope it was not too long <laughs> i didn't yeah, write too no. much <laughs> great, great great intro and uh, yeah covered off uh, a lot of good ground there um so yeah what, what i really like about your your background is um and i know from our sort of first meetings you know clearly you're interested in solving problems right and um like i say big big kind of open-ended problems and i can understand how you've sort of gone down that strategic uh route but what first attracted you to uh i guess technology and 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 data and kind of marrying data um together with the, the strategy piece um yeah how did you uh how did you first sort of develop your interest in in the tech and data space i think i see that as a continuum to be honest because Data is really about, I don't think data is just out there in, the nat in nature. So it's not a thing in itself. It's really about a story. So whenever I see any kind of data point, again, whether it's qualitative, somebody talking to you on an in-depth interview, or if you're really looking at a numbers or even log uh, traffic logs from websites, what you have there is a story. You just need to know what kind of story you're looking at. So. What interests me is this. So what kind of stories do I have there? What what can I learn from that? So my whole point, and then that's the kind of project really kind of gets my attention is generating new knowledge, understanding new things, um, piecing together different puzzles. So that's it. And I think, for example, if we're looking at data, the way we understand it now as an industry, uh, when it's married with technology, you can do that at scale. You can really kind of probe into different kinds of questions. Um, and I think that's it, because I mean, I go back to a Richard Feynman quote, I mean, the famous physicist last century, there's a this kind of snippet of him talking about science and beauty. So he says, yeah, a friend of mine asked me if I don't feel like I'm missing out, he's an artist, he says, and he they, he asks me if, if I'm not missing out because I can't really enjoy the beauty, the simple beauty of a flower, right? To which he replies, well, I think I can probably enjoy this flower even more than you because I, I not only I have access to the beauty you see, 
but also I see a lot of a lot more things going under this and going on under the surface that really kind of is a different kind of beauty and so uh, that's what interests me so you can really kind of start making these connections and learning all these different things about the world mm. when you marry you know when you turn actually all the signals into data and deploy technology to make sense of them yeah absolutely yeah i like the point about you know kind of story you know, understanding the story that the data is telling you and i think that's kind of yeah, that, that transcends, I think, lots of different industries is actually taking people on that journey and, and you know, maybe using the data to allow non-techie people to understand the story as well. Um, you know, and that, that's, I guess, a key part of being able to implement strategies is getting techie and non-techie people on the same on the same ship and, and you know, taking them in the same direction. So, uh, yeah, I totally, totally agree with that. Um, and you know your role of head of data science now, um, you know in the, in the health tech space. I mean, clearly, data science is a ever evolving and uh, growing area of um, well of of life really for all of us now. But um, what are you most passionate about? Um, I suppose in the world of data science, is there any particular areas that that kind of really um, you know whet your appetite? Oh, as I mentioned earlier, it's uh, the messy problems, the open-ended problems, uh, the people problems. So anything ranging from language, reasoning, um, and behavior, to be honest. Because, uh, for example, health space, that's a big thing. So you have all these multiple agents interacting with very high stakes. So we are talking public policy, we are talking access, we are talking HCPs, we are talking patients, uh, diagnosis. And the journeys are quite tricky um so i think that would be my like ultimate definition of a messy complex problem so it's not something you can really forecast cleanly for example because i mean if we stay step back when we're talking about systems like you know auction systems or forecasting or even i mean for looking at to degree attribution on ads we're really talking about a game right so you know what the outcome is uh you know how many different pathways you have there. So it's really about finding the best way to play the game, so the most efficient way. When we have um, people problems, you can't really solve for that. I think you get best can approximate it. So it means that if you try and forecast what's gonna happen, you're probably gonna lose more often than not, because it's not really how much you get right, but how much you can afford to get wrong. Uh, so that there's a different sign there. Um, so yeah, so this kind of problem is, it kind of requires a really integrated and a holistic perspective. So going back, so it's not really about technical approach, the methodologies or technical stack. It's also about how you set up the problem. So the conceptual uh, starting point. So, and understanding that you are not doing away with uncertainty, you're just trying to manage that and navigate it. So it's a completely different way to set up how you solve the problem. I mean, it's more like a network than, uh, let's say, it's not a chess player, it's calving ball to a degree. So it, sometimes you don't even know what game you're playing, what are the rules, and the rules can just kind of change on the fly. And how mm -hmm. do you respond to that? How do you keep delivering value uh, to all the stakeholders um, throughout this process? How do you build a stack? How do you build a system that is really resilient and responsive to this kind of thing? Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, one of the key things is uh, essentially, so yeah, I, I love this. So really having to 
deal with a living kind of system or challenge is something that really kind of uh, engages me. Mm. Yeah, that's a really great point. And like you say, every problem is different. So obviously the way you would approach every problem, I guess, will will vary depending on the, the situation. Um, do you find there's any kind of overarching sort of repeatable structures that you employ when it comes to, let's say you're working with a business that is, you know, you're kind of involved in setting up a data uh, function from scratch, maybe building a, a data team uh, from scratch. Are there any kind of approaches or systems that you found useful when it comes to building and scaling data teams um, that, you know, sort of the overarch multiple problems and, and sort of any, any sort of go-to approaches that you do tend to um, rely on? Yeah, uh, I think so, absolutely. So in terms of teams, uh, it's always good to have a multidisciplinary approach. So more than most teams I've worked over the years, they had different prof uh, specialties, different skills. So it's just like, a, I don't know, a task force, if you will. So each with a role to play. And I, I, I find it's the kind of environment I thrive and the team thrives and it's really good to coordinate with them. So for example, for a financial health index, we had uh, economists, we had communication experts, we had uh, people dealing with financial education. So we had all people from all these different uh, walks of life, but approaching this problem from multiple angles. So I think that's one of my go-to. Uh, whenever I have a new problem, let's say, I'll, I'll branch here. So one, if I'm taking on a specific ad hoc project, it's really about shaping the problems, finding the angles, and then trying and recruiting the people with the skills for that. I mean, that may change depending on the problem domain, right? So if it's financial health, it's one thing. If it's a patient journey, it's a different kind of thing. If it's pure on channel marketing, it's a third thing altogether. Uh, so the first part of that is really kind of, okay, so given the problem domain, the challenge domain, uh, what kind of skills do I need? Uh, that changes, as I mentioned, uh, from project to project. Then, of course, there's uh, the stack. As I said, I mean, the kind of problem I work more often in, is, as I said, it's messy and everything. So it kind of points me to a specific set of um, techniques, to a specific set of stacks and tech solutions. For example, I've been leaning very heavily on uh, non-relational databases. So, for example, purely native graph, uh, databases are really interesting if you're if you're really stressing the connections between uh, data pieces instead of just kind of you know counting them or kind of keeping transaction records. So that's one. Um, second one, of course, I mean we try to have some sort of lingua franca, and I think this comes, of course, I'm on the R side of the horse here, less Python, but I think for people from computer science uh, comes from a Python background more often than not, and uh, people coming from academia and other kind of fields are more probably kind of leaning towards R a bit more. But anyway, um, you can always kind of so. But it's still, we are having our share the shared language. There, packages are similar. A lot of the te techniques used are similar. For example, we have pathway uh, causal pathway analysis, which we use a lot. I mean, multi-dimensional scaling uh, for the, this class of problems. Um, there is a lot of effort that I put, a, no matter what the project, into really kind of getting the data structure right. 
So there's a big emphasis on governance for me. Uh, so these are my go-tos, right? In terms of, let's say, and for putting together systems and structuring the deliverables, of course, you still have uh, specific professionals that are really specialized. So yeah, data scientists, obviously. Um, I think UX uh, designers are really, really important for any team because, I mean, generally I break down a delivering three components. So one would be the data. So you need to have the, you know, the basics, that's your raw material. You need intelligence. So that's where, that's the processing, that's the procedures, that's uh, the algorithms, that's pretty much the kernel of the intelligence you are coding, right? Uh, that's where you have data scientists and develop some developers. And then, of course, you have the delivery system because, I mean, information will only be valuable if it's used by the right people at the right time, if they have access to it. So you really, really need to design for it. So how is this information flowing? How does it get to the end users? And they will often have different um, focus for the data. So how do you really kind of reflect that on the way you deliver? So sometimes it's a dashboard. Sometimes it's the kind of uh, chart you use. Sometimes it's something altogether different, like uh, you know, an app that really gonna really focus on specifics for each one of the stakeholders. So I try to be really agnostic in that, but having this core team of competencies, competencies, which are about really kind of uh, structuring the data, building the the code to process everything, and deciding the techniques, and then uh, designing the outputs to make sure the information is clearly passed on to the stakeholders Again, oh yeah very long answer <laughs> no but that's really interesting i think that's like a really robust answer and uh very logical and methodical and and yeah definitely makes sense and i think you know these those kind of um insights are, are what a lot of a lot of companies are in the situation at the moment right where they're really genuinely thinking about right we actually kind of need to turbocharge our data processes how do we set our functions up from scratch so um, and I'll tell you that, I mean, that's more of an approach than, because you can start super small and still kind of pay attention to these kind of three areas and three principles. So you can really kind of, even if you're just a one-man operation, which has often been the case for me, or if you're, for example, financial health index, we ended up having a team of, between developers, the development team and the technical committee. We were talking about 70 people altogether. So that's quite a lot. So, but anyway, that kind of approach really keeps me on the right track all the time. So I can always look back to the fundamentals and say, yeah, okay. So wh where does this fall? And you can scale up or down as needed. So it's not, again, it's not complicated. I think it's, I, I, I like to think, I mean, probably I shouldn't be the one saying this, but uh, I have this kind of thing I go back to is sophistication is not does not equal complexity. Sometimes you can really, and it pays to be a bit more sophisticated from the go, even if you're starting small, small because it gives you a platform to really kind of build on. Yeah, 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 yeah. I totally would agree with that. I think that's a, a very well made point. And um, I think the the world of uh, I don't know about you, but it feels at the moment with the kind of rise of sort of GP Chat GPT and all this kind of stuff that's taking on. It feels like the world of data science actually is is really having its moment in the sun at the minute and um you know for obviously a lot of uh, positive press but also a bit of negativity as well to my other half she's a teacher and obviously we've been having conversations about chat gpt and, and all this kind of thing and sort of what 
what does it mean uh you know for the future of education and all this kind of stuff and uh yeah some really exciting um moments that seem to be taking place in the minute and and one of the areas actually i'm i'm most fascinated about is actually the part of, of data science in in healthcare and kind of health tech i think you know with the kind of training models around um image um classification recognition for um a diagnosis of, of certain illnesses and things like that. i think it's just such an amazing use case there for for that in, in the real world context um but you know from having been involved in strategy and probably seeing lots of different areas where data has been um you know data solutions have been implemented to uh you know improve understanding and, and advance things what what sort of areas are you guess most what what trends are you seeing and what sort of areas are you most excited about um in the world of of data science currently oh man i agree with you natural language processing is all the rage right now because i mean we've been seeing the development over time with google bird and gpt and has been around for i think we're launching gpt4 shortly i think chat gpt is probably still based on gpt3 right um but yeah, I mean, that's captured the imagination of people, right? For good or bad. Uh, so I think that's a very significant trend in the sense that uh, we're moving away from, let's say, very well-defined spaces and into this kind of cognitive realm. We've been talking about uh, cognitive AI for a while. Uh, there's been a few false starts, but this seems a very interesting moment. Uh, have you played around with ChatGPT? Oh, yeah yeah absolutely i've tried to uh tried to understand i mean considering the model you know it, it works on to the best of my knowledge works on a lot of probability of what what's the the, the probability of the next word that, that's coming through which obviously is incredibly complex but also quite simple at the same time and considering that is the logic it is incredibly powerful in terms of how it works and incredibly effective in terms of how it works um so far and obviously i've been testing it quite regularly to try and understand the limits and you know kind of where where its effectiveness um you know uh seems to seems to dwayne but actually yeah it's kind of smashing most things out the park that you uh you give it to do so uh yeah it's, it's pretty incredible what about you what, what have your experiences been so far oh man uh pretty much i think the same as you i tried to find the altered limits so i had a really straight up conversation about am i are you uh killing my job <laughs> so, <laughs> so what does that happen to, to ai researchers and the system's like yeah no there's still plenty to do ai ethics and still need people to train so it's really interesting in that sense um i asked it for some code snippets and that was pretty impressive because i mean the approach was really interesting not the most efficient for the given task but still Regardless, I mean, it wrote the code. <laughs> it could just copy it, paste it, and uh, it would have run. Mm. Um, but then, for example, for some specific models we were working on, uh, and my bottom by model, I mean, for example, behavioral frameworks, we asked the system to build recommendations for us. So essentially, kind of, can you do the, our job for us? And there was uh, one of the limits, uh, the other limits of the system, because it really am, it's all about the common sense. So what's out there? For example, some the work we've we'd been carrying internally on one specific um, product actually kind of found a blind spot that it, and the blind spot is because 
uh, it's not a high priority kind of piece of information. I can sorry, I can be more specific, but anyway, so HCPs kind of tend to repeat and re, um, default back to a position that uh, is not where the science is, uh, is at this point uh, for you know that specific kind of problem. And that would be would have been a blind spot. So I've come to think of the chat GPT as the ultimate librarian. I understand why Google is worried, but I think it's still a far cry from um, you know uh, artificial general intelligence. I mean, it's a great uh, retrieval interface. It's it's amazing how much you can get, you know, how, how we can understand the context and get you answers, but you really, really need to guide it. So yeah, I think it's more of, I don't know, could be completely wrong. I mean, wouldn't surprise me at all if I was, but uh, it feels like, like <laughs> it's more of a Google problem than let's say something like out of science fiction, like her, you know, from yeah. Spike Jones's film. Yeah, exactly. but, but then again, I think that uh, it speaks to how quickly things are evolving the way we can really amass and coordinate information. Uh, for example, if we're talking about healthcare space and I'm saying, if I'm, let's say, looking for outliers or if I can really prompt it correctly, it could probably kind of retrieve contradictory and vast amounts of information. So I, I can totally see that being useful. Uh, also, for example, we've seen chatbots uh, being used over the past decade and they're really like lesser most of the time. So I think for example, this again is a giant step up. And I figure for us, for data science, that really kind of, if you can access information at that level, one key problem, which is getting information out to people probably fundamentally changes, right? Because we, again, got hooked up on dashboards, which I think sometimes we are, as a, you know, as practitioners, we're a bit lazy with that. We just kind of, throw a bunch of charts and, you know, tables and just in one single page and say, yeah, that's all information you have, but there's no cohesive story. There's, there's no narrative. So there's no specific answer to a specific question. There's just a bunch of information and you make that of what you will. So I think that that's where we were falling short before. Um, and maybe this kind of technology can really kind of cut corners in that sense, because it can really make more sense than, a, let's say, uh you thought dashboard or a, like a, you know gen generic template dashboard would so uh, again uh what else can it be used to collect more data probably i don't know so it's really about the imagination uh early days but yeah so it's fascinating because it gives us a way to deal with uh unstructured information or it shows the potential to deal with unstructured information that uh, we had only dreamt of i think yeah yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I agree. It's, it feels like a kind of real, uh, you know, big step forward in terms of what, you know, the average person walking down the street in terms of how they interact with AI. I mean, it felt, it felt the same way when Alexa came out and obviously, you know, everyone felt like they were talking to a machine, but, you know, when you really kind of dug under the surface of the actual model itself was really quite, you know, quite simplistic. And then I agree, you know, we're, we're obviously still a million miles away from um, sentient, um you know understanding and, and intelligence uh but it but it does feel like like say from an information retrieval perspective you know an absolute game changer in terms of um you know how uh, how far that's come one of the things that i was listening to a, a radio uh, program the other day and it was um 
a lady who I think was on one of the exam governing boards and obviously was naturally worried about students that are writing, um, uh, you know, essays for for their you know, A-levels or whatever. And, uh, you know, how basically ChatGPT can be used pretty much to you know, put together an essay for you in about three seconds flat. And yeah. um, I, weirdly, she had quite a, I think, quite a refreshing, quite a pragmatic view to it. And she's like, well, look, if this is the world that we're living in now, we need to change the way we think about how we assess people's intellects and change the way how we, we assess people in general, because it's not that chat GPT is, is ruining the system. It's that chat GPT is the system and, you know, that's not going to go anywhere and we need to work out how we can, how we can apply it in the most meaningful way. And I think that's, very true you know all the advances in technology that take place you know we, we just need to work out how we can apply them in in the best way but um but i still feel like you said a long long way to go before at the point where we can call it you know, anything real intelligent i mean it hasn't got a sense of humor because i did ask it um who would win in a fight between you and iron and uh, jarvis from iron man and uh <laughs> didn't seem to understand the, the question <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that, that's good. There's a glimmer of hope. But I totally agree with the perspective of that commentator. I mean, sometimes we kind of push back because, yeah, the problem is the technology. It's not. I mean, it's really kind of, okay, so what kind of assumptions is it breaking? What kind of assumptions do we need to revisit? And even though it's painful, I think it's healthy. So, yeah. I mean, and again, I think that's the nature of the field. Can I give you a couple, uh, actually, a couple of other, other examples that really kind of get me excited in data science. Hey. These are less talked about because I think they're not data science specifically, but I think data journalism, for example, it's something that's really interesting right now. There is a lot we could learn from that. Because, okay, if we move away from, you know, because a lot of data science right now, it's all about the kind of logs we can get our hands on, right? So essentially we got used to asking the questions we have data to answer. And sometimes we just stop answering the right questions. So it's, it's, it's not really what we need to know. It's okay. So what kind of what what is it that I'm allowed to ask uh, given this uh, data points I have? But I think, for example, New York Times. The New York Times has been uh, with its approach to data journalism has been showing how you can turn the world into a lab, and that's really inspiring. For example, uh, there's one piece they did on uh, exposure to pollution in India uh, using two to kids uh, and they really kind of, de they developed some de uh, devices. So they could, I don't know how we call that, but anyway, so there was no, okay. There was no objective, objective information, how much exposure you could have as a kid or not. I mean, so they got one kid from a rich neighborhood and another from a poor neighborhood nearby, but all the data you have is aggregate data given the area, right? So how, how do you go into the detail? So they fitted the kids with uh, some sensors. Uh, they wore that for a few days and it was just capturing the amount of particles uh, they were exposed to at any given time, at school, in traffic, uh, within inside the house. And because of their different backgrounds, the difference was massive. So essentially it was two or three days worth of data, but for, but capture every single moment uh, of the day. And you could really see how different uh, socioeconomic level, uh, uh, what a difference the socioeconomic level made. Because for example, 
the poor kid they're in their household they were burning wood to cook for example and that was a tiny space very enclosed and everything so no ventilation um whereas the richer kid of course a spacious house um gas oven so they looked at the world and said okay so this is what we're really interested in so what are how does you know social economic level impact uh kids health or exposure to pollution and they just devised an experiment they went out there and did it right uh so they actually kind of managed to find a way to collect the data they needed to answer the, their question not the other way around yeah um, and i think that that's something that should inform our approach to data science a bit more in companies mm. yeah that's really really interesting point. i never actually heard of it before but you can kind of you can totally understand that if you can yeah, because I guess in the journalism world, you've got to empirically prove what you're writing about, or at least have certain sources of, of validation before you actually go and write a story. And taking a sort of data-driven approach to journalism, yeah, that make, makes total sense. And that's actually a really interesting example. Um, on that note, actually, just one, one of the uh, companies that we've interacted with in the past is um, a company called Coco Networks. I don't know if you've come across them, but they they specifically have set out to challenge or, or solve that particular problem. Um, and they, and that sort of the, um, the use of cooking uh, fuels and things in uh, very poor houses. And I didn't realize this until we sort of had the first conversation with them, but the, the number of children that die on an annual basis due to poisoning from fumes from, you know, just cooking in a small confined space is absolutely astronomical um, on a, an annual basis. And they've built a, um, a network of, um, uh, they're sort of in stores, mainly in Africa at the moment, but they're in stores and they uh, essentially have like a, a network of uh, clean fuel burning um, stoves. And it's sort of like on a subscription basis um, that you can get access to. And uh, it seems to be having like massive um, impact uh, you know, in solving that particular problem um, across Africa. And it's being rolled out oh. globally now. Um, but yeah, that, that particular story you spoke about there, you know, it's something I wasn't necessarily aware of until quite recently, but it was a huge, huge, huge problem uh, for, for, you know, the majority of, of the world's poorest nations. Um, so definitely one worthwhile, um, you know, reporting on and, and bringing to light and uh, thankfully there are companies out there like coco network which seem to be doing a great a great job in um you know um solving that i didn't know them but that's that sounds amazing yeah and mm. imagine if, for example it's fitted with sensors they can actually track the difference right and then you can have data that is really kind of useful at the micro level so household level and then you can really aggregate that i think and i think there then you have a okay that's idealism mean but uh, that's where you can have, for example, open data. You can have uh, some sort of public health or public or fair, uh, public interest kind of license for use, Creative Commons, what it will. So I think there's always this balance between, you know, devising ways to capture this kind of data that sometimes is just around us and we don't see, right? So there's this potential. Absolutely. There's something actually kind of McCann did, uh, McCann Health London did a couple of years ago. I love the idea. Uh, essentially, they turned street signs into eye tests. I mean, of course, they don't really replace the, you know, eye tests you've taken as your uh, optician, but uh, optometrist, sorry. 
but again, it's a really clever way to gather data in a real world setting and spurring people into action, right? So, so sometimes I think as an industry, we tend to think of data as those numbers, you know, locked away in servers or in spreadsheets or, you know, flat files, whatever, but really if you expand a step back and expand your view, and if you really kind of think about it from the problem perspective, you can see that every interaction around you is a, an opportunity to learn and an opportunity to collect data. And whether or not you're creepy about it, that, that's on you, right? I don't know if you remember Google's uh, old motto, don't be evil. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that kind of sums it up. But between the kind of technology we have these days, I mean, and it leaps and bounds and from ChatGPT, which is the model how to process this kind of structured data, right? Because, or at least how to access, because how we process that, that happens uh, under the hood. So in their cases, the neural net, uh, but there will be other different approaches depending on the kind of data you're dealing with. As I said, uh, image recognition is an altogether different kind of problem. But if you step back and suddenly, even if we're talking about, let's say, marketing and journeys and patient healthcare, so how you deal with, you know, with prompting, with nudges, or integrating in case of HCPs, integrating uh, live experiences from in congresses, for example, into the overall journey or overall omnichannel arc that you're building, it's suddenly it's suddenly doable. It's just a matter of how you create the conceptual framework, right? So what kind of things are you collecting? What do they mean? Uh, what is the model underpinning all of that? And then the world just becomes a hybrid. Right? For example, there's a really interesting company uh, I've had the chance to be in touch with, and they're dealing with AR like many others, but in their business model, one of the key things is they're talking about their wormholes, right? So essentially how you can really kind of layer up all these different levels of reality. And I think, again, it's uh, untapped potential at this point. Of course, technology is not really mature at this level, but how do you measure, for example, things at different levels? Let's say if you're trying to gauge interest, something you can try and do is, when whenever if I go from you know a flat representation to an AR object, it kind of, does that mean there's a qualitative shift in interest, for example, that I can track? Can I test for that? Uh, can I establish this connection reliably? And I think, yeah, so there's always this balance um, going forward in our business. So, so how do we cater to the needs of the business today, which is, of course, uh, the bread and butter. So we're talking analytics and advanced analytics and all the other sort of uses we have uh, business-wide across the business sorry but then what are the new possibilities that we should start to build for and sometimes it's not even it's it's not about technology it's about again approach about the model about stepping back and say okay maybe if i used to assess, just going back to the test right so essays were used as a proxy to assess i don't know verbal intelligence or knowledge of facts or your ability to really string together things but maybe once you have technology that really kind of mimics that, what's the next step? How do you step back and reconceptualize that? Mm. And yeah, it's, so I think that's the nexus right now. So we're talking trends, we're talking about really, uh, I'd say, unstructured data, 
and our ability to capture integrate way more from the world than um, just computer logs and digital breadcrumbs yeah absolutely absolutely and i guess that that you know when you talk about advancing technology it is in my mind anyway about how it can help the common person you know so chat gpt is a great example of actually it's a tool that the whole world can integrate with and, and interface with and actually derive value from and i see that as a positive step forward you know but say a lot of people there's lots of negative connotations that go along with it but i think you know all, all advances in in technology in in many ways you know should be about advancing people's or advancing people just generally on the planet and you know helping them move forward and advancing their either their knowledge or their ability to do certain things and uh and yeah it's a really uh really interesting uh interesting topic but i think yeah it's been fantastic um to to chat with you paolo and i think some really really interesting topics covered and some uh, uh great insight shared uh today and um one way i like to always end a podcast is uh to ask for your favorite piece of advice that you've ever received um throughout your uh your journey as a as a data professional um or yeah, it doesn't have to be data specific at all but um yeah is there a, a favorite piece of advice that you you've received that you'd like to share with your uh your fellow person oh that was a fair question um actually there are two that uh, are on my mind quite a while quite quite a lot recently so one is um i got from in one of the projects we had we had a really uh, reputable scholar on board as a consultant and whenever things got really weird and we lost our way he would go like he would just kind of say you know go back to the theory which i think is a pretty solid piece of advice which i always understood as um go back to the fundamentals trust your assumptions or recheck your assumptions and look at the data from that perspective and in that light so yeah uh, that's the that's one so go back to the theory the second one and i think that speaks mostly on a personal level but i think uh, maybe professionally as well especially given my seesaw kind of career so i'm always changing and going to places that maybe i shouldn't be um you know self-thought mostly but uh there's this thing and guy please if it doesn't translate too well because i heard this one in portuguese um it's uh don't mistake a sense of urge urgency for being in a hurry so which is again a very solid piece of advice because you can have a sense of urgency and sustain that for long periods of time especially when you're dealing with complex uh either career transitions or complex problems let's say projects you have multiple you know milestones and you have to develop different bits and pieces and they can be really daunting uh, but when you break it down we can sustain that and still have the sense of urgency right mm. which is completely different from being in a hurry and rushing things and just kind of taking shortcuts so i read it these days i mean and i can agree with that um long term yeah short term easy is long term hard long term easy is short term hard so Ooh, I've not heard that one before. I like that. I like that a lot. I'll, uh, yeah. I'll make a note of that one. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, cool. Well, look, again, thank you very much for, uh, for taking part today and, and being here with us. And uh, yeah, really, really enjoyed the the the, uh, the chat. And uh, yeah, I think a lot of value shared. So uh, I look very much look forward to keeping abreast of your um, your movements and your your latest uh, developments as time goes on. And uh, yeah, I'm sure you'll continue to be a great success uh, in all of your endeavours. So thanks very much again for, for coming and uh, look forward to keeping in touch. Thank you so much. It's been a blast. Uh, this, as you can probably tell, I'm passionate about this and I have a lot, loads of opinions. But yeah, it's been a really lively conversation. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. It's the best way to be. Always have an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Bye. Cheers, Valet. Bye. Take care.